When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. History friends. So, as part of When Diplomacy Fails Remastered, I wanted to give you guys a sample of what to expect for the future of When Diplomacy Fails. If this celebration is all about partying because of our last five years together, then I wanted to assure you that our next five years will be just as special. With this in mind, Patreon is going to become very important, because it is through that brilliant service that this podcast will hit new goals and take on new projects. New projects such as the History of Prussia, which will be a separate podcast and which will be launched when we hit two and a half grand a month. On the one hand, this means that such a project is likely to be some time away, though I've already been overwhelmed by your guys' generosity even since starting this party. But on the other hand, it also means that you have something as incredible as a brand new podcast to look forward to. The jury is still out on whether separate merchandise will accompany this crazy goal, But in light of the fact that this goal and the ambition to create such a podcast is very much real, I wanted to release this episode, labelled as a teaser for what the history of Prussia will look like, but in reality it's a chance for me to recount one of my favourite scenes from that fascinating country's history. So I hope you enjoy it then, as I take you to late 1650s Europe, where a significant and oft-forgotten agreement was signed between the King of Poland and the Elector of Brandenburg.
Prussia was, in many ways, a weird kind of state. It was an unnatural state forged in the 13th century by a Teutonic order, who themselves conquered it from pagan tribes living in the region. The Teutonic order got out of control, so they were defeated by the Poles, who accepted the lands of the Teutonic Knights as a vassal in their empire, and they divided it into two administrative zones, east and west. This division of the Teutonic lands into royal-west and ducal-east Prussia became important in time, As a century after this division was made, thanks to intermarrying, Ducal Prussia would pass to Brandenburg by inheritance in 1618. This technically meant that the elector of Brandenburg was also a vassal of the King of Poland, so he paid homage to him in a relationship not unlike those of the Dukes of Normandy to France, even while those Dukes of Normandy were also Kings of England. If you're a bit confused, don't worry about it because the actual podcast, The History of Prussia, will go into far more detail on this whole thing. What you do need to know for the moment is that this curious relationship didn't last long. During a time of national turmoil, which was the Swedish deluges of the late 1650s, the King of Poland elected to grant the Elector of Brandenburg unconditional rights over Ducal or East Prussia, meaning that the Elector, in this case... Frederick William, the great elector, would no longer have to pay homage to the King of Poland, owing to his now total possession of the Prussian territory. This happened in 1657 with the Treaty of Wehlau, and was an act of monumental significance. I really can't emphasize it enough, guys, for German, Prussian, and Polish history. It's significant because it enabled the electors of Brandenburg to suddenly hold territory outside the jurisdiction of the Holy Roman Empire, and this meant that they could shape their regime in this land, in East Prussia, into whatever regime they desired. As the electors increased their hold on the land, it became possible to see the electors as something more than an elector in those lands. In Prussia, it seemed, an elector of Brandenburg could be something else altogether. So it was that from 1660, Frederick William had surpassed his rank as merely an imperial potentate. He was now a sovereign prince, as he liked to consider himself, in East Prussia, and he began crafting his regime to mirror those of his more royal neighbours. From the rulers of Europe did Frederick William seek vindication of his new rule. The title of Mon Frere, from the likes of Louis XIV, Charles II, etc., which denoted their equal princely status. This might sound unusual or odd to you, but so determined was Frederick William to reimagine his rule over East Prussia as one of a royal figurehead that he ensured Prussia would overtake Brandenburg as that state's designation. This process was set in motion by Frederick William, but it was brought to its logical conclusion by Frederick William's successor, his third son, Frederick III, who began his reign as Elector of Brandenburg and Ruler of East Prussia, but whom history has come to know as Frederick I, the first king in Prussia. This episode will attempt to unwrap this story, who Frederick was, why he strived to become king, and how he got away with it, as well as what it meant for the future of not merely Prussia, but also Germany itself. The House of Hohenzollern ruled over Brandenburg, Prussia, as it was known, since 1618, and thanks to opportunism and the shrewd foreign policy of his father, Frederick III of Brandenburg, Prussia, was able to position himself and his state at a powerful and influential level in European politics during the wars of the latter 17th century. During the War of the League of Augsburg, 
Frederick ensured that Brandenburg stayed on the side of the Allies and maintained an anti-French stance. Perhaps he did this out of fear of the power of France, but he may also have been compelled to by the influence he wished to build with the Holy Roman Emperor Leopold I. If Frederick wished to bring his plans for Prussia to fruition, he would need the approval of that emperor to do it. The opportunity seemed to come again, just like it had come for his father, when in 1697 the War of the League of Augsburg came to an end. Peace had apparently been returned to Europe, but evidently it couldn't last. The Spanish king was not long for this world, and when he died it would surely spark another conflagration over his throne. When this happened, Frederick believed he could use the leverage that his state possessed, which was now the second largest German state in Europe, behind only the Habsburgs themselves, to pressure Leopold to give him what he wanted. And what Frederick III of Brandenburg-Prussia wanted was to be king. On the 16th of November 1700, Frederick III signed the Crown Treaty with Leopold, wherein it was stipulated that in return for 8,000 men and a pro-Habsburg stance, that Brandenburg-Prussia would adopt and send to the Habsburgs in the coming war over the Spanish throne, Vienna would recognise Frederick's claim to kingship over East Prussia and communicate his upgrade and royal status to the other courts of Europe. What can we make of this agreement? Was it an isolated case of ambitious rulers seeking more titles? In actual fact, Frederick's case was won among many by 1700. We are drawn to the example that the elector of Saxony who converted to Catholicism so that he could sit on the Polish throne, and we all know how that candidate for the Polish throne, Augustus the Strong, turned out. Or take the Dukes of Savoy, who by the end of the 17th century had turned their ducal role into that which reigned over the kingdom of Sardinia as kings. Consider also the Hanoverian princes, who were rumoured to be implicated, in rumours that soon proved to be true, by way of their Palatine ancestry, to the throne of Britain, this would come to fruition as George I of Great Britain and Hanover would be crowned in 1714. Seen in this light then, the increase in German princes and rulers across the continent itself, rising above their secular domains and becoming something far more regal entirely, was not a Hohenzollern invention, but none of these other newly fashioned kings, with the debatable exception of George I, would see their house so develop because of their succession. For Sir George Stepney, the British envoy present in Berlin in the late 1690s, Frederick III's ascension to king was not unduly surprising, for it was well known to him at least just how much value Frederick placed upon his Prussian domains. Stepney wrote, The value this elector sets upon the absolute sovereignty wherewith he possesses the ducal Prussia, for in that respect he exceeds in power all other electors and princes of the empire who are not so independent but derive their grandeur by investiture from the emperor, for which reasons the elector affects to be distinguished by some more extraordinary title than what is common to the rest of his colleagues. Extra significance was attached to Frederick's move, not merely by his contemporaries, but by Frederick himself. Much would be made of the fact that Frederick was not requesting recognition by the emperor, he was merely extending a courtesy. If this was stretching the truth somewhat, his peers could not deny that Frederick, in contrast to the other cases, was creating this new kingship, and thus the wording was important so as to not cause offence. 
the Poles were believed to be especially susceptible to such offence because they owned Royal or West Prussia at this juncture. So to proclaim oneself the King of Prussia would thus infer that Frederick III considered himself sovereign over all that territory, in other words, East and West. But by really switching up a word, Frederick made it plain what his new status entailed. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He was sovereign over his East Prussian lands, but he remained elector over Brandenburg and beholden to the emperor in that sphere. Though Frederick could have justifiably pointed to his fellow German princes and their attempts to grab the royal brass ring, these princes were not creating an independent royal institution. There had never been a king of Prussia, and certainly not a king in Prussia before. Some argued at the time, and have reasons since, that Frederick merely confirmed what everyone else already recognised to be true by 1701. Frederick more than had the authority and sovereignty over East Prussia, which made him its absolute monarch, in all but name. And yet it was the name, the significance, and the symbolism above all which Frederick truly cared for. Now that he had leveraged the kingship into being, he would have to mark its creation in style. It was plainly designed to stun and inspire. Frederick III's coronation took place on the 18th of January 1701. From that point he became Frederick I, the first king in Prussia, and the first sovereign of that territory since recorded history. Symbolically crowned in Königsberg, the Prussian capital at that time, rather than in Berlin, the capital of Brandenburg, Frederick was making a distinction between his Brandenburg possessions and the regal ones incepted by the Prussian royal majesty he had just created. In time, this latter title would overshadow the ancestral one of Elector, and by the late 1770s, the electors of Brandenburg were no longer kings in Prussia, but became kings of Prussia which was how Europe essentially viewed them from that point onwards. 1701 also marks the historical end point of Brandenburg-Prussia as a polity. The strange relationship which already existed from inheritance and personal union now contained two distinct titles, two distinct lands, two distinct peoples, and just to top it all off, Calvinism in Brandenburg and Lutheranism in Prussia 
so two distinct religions. Frederick William had himself struggled with imposing his will on the Prussian estates in the 1660s and 70s, and his son Frederick III seems to have inherited this sticky relationship. He only made those Prussian nobles aware of his intentions to crown himself King of East Prussia in December 1700, less than a month before this seismic event was due to take place. Frederick I's ascension to kingship must be recognised as the fulfilment of his father's ambition. Without Frederick William's great wiles, Prussia and Brandenburg would never have been in such a position by 1701 for his son to effect this monumental change. And as if to signify his appreciation of what his father had done for him, Frederick would unveil a large statue of his father in line with the other celebrations. With the granting of the kingship, though technically still in a personal union with Brandenburg, Frederick had planted the seeds for the royal rank of king to overtake the princely rank of elector, and indeed his rule, along with his successors, would regularly be shorthanded merely to King in Prussia, sometimes even simply to the king. By 1701, the Holy Roman Emperor's practical ability to project his power into Brandenburg had all but vanished. Thus, Frederick's claim that the legal and technical negotiations leading up to the coronation were merely a courtesy to old traditions holds some water. Yet if Frederick wanted to convince the rest of Europe as to his new status, perhaps as much as he wanted to convince himself, he would have to launch a coronation which nobody would forget. Thus we are greeted with scenes of pomp and ceremony on a rabid scale on the 18th of January 1701. 30,000 horses were required to pull the processions, entourage and personage of the king and queen in Prussia. Arriving in Konigsberg on the 15th of January, the 1,800 carriages had travelled throughout the villages and towns of Ducal Prussia, as town criers declared the duchy a sovereign kingdom under their new king, Frederick. In what had once been the audience chamber of Emir Elector, Frederick now sat on a throne built especially for this purpose. He wore a gown draped with scarlet and gold, and he symbolically took his own crown in hand. He crowned himself, and then he took hold of his scepter himself as well. He then went into his wife's bedchambers, and he crowned her queen off of his own sovereign power. The legal and traditional sensibilities of the citizens, perhaps stoked, Frederick then engaged in some ceremony they would better understand. Following homage from the estates, the couple proceeded to the church in Konigsberg Castle, where they were greeted by a Calvinist and Lutheran minister, a nod to the multi-confessional nature of the polity that was Brandenburg, Prussia. Both figures were then anointed by the bishops present, and after much hymns and a general pardon on a grand scale, more homage was paid, and the rejoicing began. Every facet of every detail had been customised by Frederick, and, through his court adviser, he selected from the royal customs of virtually every prominent court in Europe representations and gestures which he liked and ignored those which he did not well understand or like. Thus it was, as if to allude to the man's curious royal title, a uniquely Prussian status which Frederick conferred upon himself. The act of crowning himself rather than waiting on the clergy to do it signified that Frederick believed he could walk on his own two feet because he didn't need the custom justification which required the spiritual approval, before moving forward. Frederick had created his own ceremony as much as he had created his own crown, and the crown itself was domed at the top and represented the all-encompassing power and control of a monarch like Frederick, 
who evidently had the final say in how such ceremonies were conducted. The expense would of course match the display. The Queen's new crown for one took up three-fifths of the incomes of the tax that was levied especially for this coronation event, a sum of 300,000 thalers. In total, it is estimated by Christopher Clarke in his examination of the event that the whole ceremony from beginning to end cost the equivalent of 6 million thalers, or just about twice Frederick's income for the year. It was a price worth paying, Frederick believed, to demonstrate the majesty to the rest of Europe and the world that he now possessed, and the definite rank he enjoyed as one amongst his peers. However we feel about the displays or overspending, we can't deny that it was a watershed moment in the history of Brandenburg, which would soon be only known as Prussia. Arguably the next watershed moment would occur the very same day as this coronation, but 170 years later, on the 18th of January, 1871, when the Kingdom of Prussia would enter the next phase of its existence as the German Empire. The flair for pomp and ceremony which Frederick held so dear would not be taken up by his son or his grandson, Frederick the Great. Yet, without this incredible show, the development of European history would have progressed very differently. In establishing a court befitting of his new rank, Frederick would nearly ruin his new kingdom financially, and so suddenly did Berlin apparently become this capital of European style, luxury and grand display that British ambassadors would write home requesting more cash to live up to the ridiculously high standards there. Frederick would found royal scientific societies. He would introduce the Order of the Black Eagle, a body responsible for awarding friends of the king with titles, honours and deeds. In addition, Frederick would receive much credit for his ambition and ingenuity, acquiring a symbolic medallion from the philosopher Leibniz on the date of his birthday in 1701, in recognition of his accomplishments in the science and arts, among other areas. On one side of the medallion recounted Christopher Clarke a portrait of the Elector King, and on the other was an impression of the Brandenburg Eagle, flying towards the star constellation known as the Eagle accompanied by the interesting inscription, he strives for the stars he knows. Indeed, Frederick had strived successfully, it must be said, for such stars. These stars he well understood would grant him and his family titles, honours and rank, far outweighing those of his other electoral peers, and thus we begin to see the eclipsing by Frederick of those other imperial princes and electors of the imperial college. In time, Frederick's descendants would not merely carry the royal title, they would establish a new empire in place of the Holy Roman model, this time casting into the dustbin of history any sense of doubt as to their status. They would be kings of Prussia, yes, but they would also hold the title of their ancestral master, emperor, or kaiser, of the German people. The legacy of Frederick I and the incredible act he incepted are a demonstration of how much he contributed to the history of Prussia. And while after 1701 the story arguably gets more straightforward, at least insofar as the relationship between the two halves of the state in Brandenburg and Prussia become clearer, the histories before 1701 provide just as much fascinating material to feast one's ears upon. Incidentally, in another aspect of the story I can't wait to take on, Frederick would be succeeded by his son, Frederick William I, 
who in every sense was the antithesis of his father. He despised ceremony, dispensed with all semblance of cultural, artistic or musical display and he immediately fired two-thirds of his father's court on his accession in 1713. Many were horrified at this sudden shake-up, but this strict, often cruel and sometimes proud ruler would father the person of King Frederick II, inarguably one of the most uncomfortable father-son relationships of the 18th century. This Frederick II would rule Prussia as Frederick the Great from 1740, and one day I hope to do him justice. Until that time comes, though, I hope you've been intrigued and drawn in with this foray into the Prussian historical timeline. With your support through Patreon and considerable reserves of patience, I plan to burst the entire timeline open with a podcast that somehow doesn't yet exist. Here's hoping nobody tackles it in the meantime. Either way, we're still going to do it because the story is simply too good not to. So thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll keep stopping by for the rest of this remastered project of ours. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.